Well, I invite you to open your Bibles. We're going to be in the book of Matthew and a little bit in Luke, but I'll have that on the screen for you. So for book of Matthew, if you'd like to follow along. Chuck Swindoll is this uh, kind of famous American pastor, preacher. He's now in his 80s, but he has a long legacy of, of great sermons, great storytelling, and he recently had a sermon where he was sharing, and it kind of went viral, so you may have seen this on, on social media. It got shared by many, but he told a story about getting older and just wrestling with the changes of aging, and he said that he was in a, a drive through recently, and he pulled up in the drive through of a fast food restaurant, and it was taking him a little bit longer than maybe the average person to order. And the person behind him was growing impatient, so began honking her horn and kind of saying, like, hurry up and order your Happy Meal or whatever that is, and, 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 and get, move on. Like, and so she was very impatient, honking her horn. He kind of just put his hand out the window like, I'm sorry. And, and uh, he made his order and pulled up to the first window where you pay. He paid for his food, and then he said, hey, I would like to pay for the person behind me. So he paid for the person behind him, and as he pulled forward to the next window, she then realized what he had just done. Returning her rudeness and her impatience with kindness, she kind of reached out and started saying thank you, probably partly embarrassed or whatever, and, and like by his now response to her rudeness. As Chuck Swindoll pulled up to the second window, he tells the story. He said, I reached in and I received my meal, and then I handed the receipt to the worker for the meal behind me, and I took her meal too and drove away. <laughs> she had to go back in line and go all the way through it again. To which then he said, don't mess with us old people. We've been around a while and we've learned a thing or two. <laughs> you didn't see that one coming, did you? <laughs> You know, sometimes I think of how change is so difficult at times. We're in a Christmas season, and many of us, we, we, we have, things change as we get older, as your kids get older. Maybe you move to a new community. Uh, maybe your family gets larger. Sometimes your families may be getting smaller. And the holidays, the Christmas season is one of those where there's so many traditions. There's so many things that maybe we hold on to that have been meaningful, but sometimes they change, and it's difficult at times to wrestle with those changes. As we think of this series we've been going through, we've been, we call it the blank that stole Christmas, and we're looking at all of the things that kind of try to steal the wonder and joy of Christmas. The things that maybe, uh, and, and we know nothing is going to steal the message of Christmas. Nothing could have changed what God was going to accomplish and what he did accomplish. But what are the things that tend to get in the way of our fully embracing the story and the message? And sometimes when we look at things even changing in our lives, there is this fear that what if it'll never be the same? What if what we used to have is now forever different? What if Christmas won't have the same meaning? And today what we want to look at is this Christmas story. The Advent theme for today is love. And I was thinking about what steals love? What can get in the way of the message of love? And I thought, oh, maybe it's hate, right? That was too obvious. As I searched through scripture, what I realized, what tries to get in the way of love and the message of love throughout scripture is actually fear. And today what we're going to look at is the fear that steals Christmas. 
the fear in our lives that pops up and can get in the way of embracing this amazing story of God with us, of, of what Jesus accomplished through his birth, through his life with us, and with Emmanuel, what that really means, God with us, our fear of embracing that message can get in the way of fully experiencing that message of love. And what we're going to do today is we're going to look at just three characters from the Christmas story and the different fears that they interacted with, and then how does that relate to each of us here today. So that's where we're going, and so I want to invite you in Matthew chapter 1. We already met the first characters, Mary and Joseph. In particular, we want to focus on Joseph. And the first fear that we want to see is Mary and Joseph, and it's the fear of being canceled. Now, this is a modern way of saying it, of course, but let's look at the text, and let me explain what I mean. Matthew chapter 1, verse 20 says this, or let me set it up actually before that. Thank you. (laughs) That was quick. So we know in the story that Mary was told that she was going to have a child. This is a fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 7, where it said that the virgin will be with child, and you will call him Emmanuel, God with us. And so that, that would be a confusing passage in Scripture for 700 years, but it was connected to the fulfillment in upcoming Messiah, or God's anointed one who'd be sent. Mary has this vision this, with an angel who says, you're going to have a child, uh, you're already engaged to Joseph, and you're a virgin who will have a child, and she naturally probably had a longer conversation than we see in Scripture, but ultimately she says, let your will be done. I'm your servant. Now, the difficult part of this, and we don't see this in Scripture, is the conversation she had to have with her fiancé, Joseph. Right? That, that conversation probably was not as simple as you might picture from our manger scene. To go and to say, hey, um, so we're engaged to be married, and i got to let you know, an angel appeared to me, I'm pregnant, but don't worry, it's from God. Now, you can, you can put yourself in Joseph's shoes, and what Scripture tells us is Joseph wrestled with that, and he said that he decided to essentially divorce her, divorce, they were still engaged, but they were equivalent to being married. He said he was going to put her away quietly. He was going to send her away and say, hey, I, I don't know if this is true or not, but here's a few things that I'm going to have to wrestle with if it is you're pregnant, we're engaged, so there's going to be something about my reputation on the line. Because in a good Jewish home where they're trying to uh, follow God's holiness, that he would wait to consummate the marriage until the actual marriage took place. So people naturally would say, hey, Joseph, I see your fiance is pregnant. So his reputation is now on the line. The other one is he has to deal with, I don't know if I, do I even trust her? Because I know it's not me. There's a good way of knowing. So he knew. It wasn't him. So her reputation's on the line. Would his friends say, oh, it's not your baby, but you're sticking with her? Do you know what type of person she is? And so there was this thought going through his mind is, I'm not going to embarrass her, but I'm going to just send her away probably to her family quietly and just be done and move on. Verse 20 of Matthew chapter 1. Now we have it for you. After Joseph had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. 
She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save the people from their sins. Jesus is a Hebrew word, Yeshua, means to save, or he saves. So Joseph had the natural response that many of us would have, and he had this fear of what will people think of us now. In modern terms, that is the fear of being canceled. No longer having a good reputation, no, whatever that might be. And the angel appears to him and says, do not be afraid. Now notice what the angel didn't say. Joseph, don't be afraid because people will understand. They're going to connect the dots immediately and say, how cool is this? That you're having the child of God. That you're the fulfillment of prophecy. That you are, you are just walking in faith in the ways of the Lord. Notice the angel didn't say any of that. Because my guess is, every single conversation they had, people were going like, good one, Joseph. Way to pull out an obscure Bible verse to justify this. The angel didn't say that. The angel didn't say you won't be uh, canceled by your friends, by your peers. The angel says, do not be afraid because I'm up to something and I'm asking you to trust. See, trusting God's plan may put you in a spotlight of being different. Often too different for people to accept. And what can get in the way of this message, of our embracing this message of love in Christmas time, is this fear of what if we truly walked in the ways of Jesus? What if we truly lived out the life that he has demonstrated for us when he came to earth, walked among us, demonstrated love in flesh? If we live that out, what will people actually think of us? What if I pursue reconciliation with someone who doesn't want it? What if I'm willing to be a person of grace and forgiveness? What if I offer mercy to those who don't deserve it? What if I humble myself and serve people who are lower than me? What if I did that? Now on the surface, that all sounds great, doesn't it? But it's a lot harder in real life. Walking in faith, we always reject or face the possibility of being rejected, maybe even being canceled. And I'm not can talking about being canceled because you stood for truth and you went on social media and you fired off on a bunch of people and told them what they need to believe. That's a different kind. I'm talking about walking in the ways of Jesus according to Scripture with His love and mercy and grace and if people misunderstand you or think less of you or think you're just weak-minded or whatever, but you walk in that grace with the fear of being canceled. But you say, but my life in Christ is worth more. Now, I was kind of wrestling with this and thinking of it and, and thinking how does that practically play itself out and does it? And uh, just for a moment, want to share a little bit of one of the things that I wrestle with, because I think being canceled, I'm not really fearful of being canceled by people who don't believe in Jesus, because that might happen. But my experiences most actually don't cancel me. In fact, most of my non-Christian friends, I, I can't think of one who directly to my face said, you're a Christian, I'm done with you. I don't want to hear from you. Now, I've had some say, well, I have a different worldview, and that's, that's fine, I'm sure online there's probably some who have canceled me. But you know what's harder for me personally? It's being canceled by other Christians. That's the hard thing. So to take it a little bit real, this is, um, 
one of the things that I've wrestled with, and you know, I've, I've shared before, for some reason in my life, one of the issues that's, that's really important to me is the idea of uh, racial relations or r- racial reconciliation. It always has been. I don't know why. Maybe being in military communities, uh, meeting my wife who's in a mixed-race family, and then also in a very diverse community. Maybe it's just there. I believe Scripture is very clear that the picture of the new creation, new heavens and new earth, is every tribe and tongue worshiping together under the king. Amen? <laughs> if you didn't know that, that's very clear. The other thing that's very clear is Jesus came to break down the walls of the barrier between Jew and Gentile. In fact, we're going to see in a moment, one of the first visitors in the Christmas scene were magi from the east, who this was a cross-cultural interaction, okay? So throughout the New Testament, it's very clear that God was doing something new among the people. But here's the hard thing about it. I think we can all agree with that. But saying that, I have experienced being on the other end of it, where this is just getting real. People say, oh, you're going woke. Because you think it's important that we have good relations. Now, I know that the secular culture has hijacked this conversation. It got really quiet in here. But the secular culture has hijacked this conversation and is using it in a way that I don't think is helpful all the time. But that shouldn't change that as brothers and sisters of Christ, that we need to be very serious about making sure that we are demonstrating the kingdom of God that we will all experience in perfection in heaven. That that multicultural, multi-generational kind of experience is what we will see in heaven, and we should be a picture of that here on earth. But just saying that, I promise you, there's some who are hearing that with skepticism. Because I've seen it. I've experienced it. This summer when I, I shared on my sabbatical, I went on the civil rights trail, and one day I wanted to post that I was just at the high school where the, uh, these black teenagers went and broke the color barrier I mentioned a few weeks ago. What I didn't realize was I was carrying this burden if I was afraid to post that. Because if I post that, some Christians are going to say, here he goes again. He's woke. I don't even know what you mean by woke, if that's what it is. But if it's trying to walk out the ways of Jesus that says in Christ there's no longer Jew and Gentile that we care about each other, then fine, that's who I am. But I fear that being canceled in that way. That's a hard burden that I carry because I actually think I'm doing what is biblical. Now, have I ever said anything the wrong way? Probably. I speak twice a week, every week. I'm always going to say, I'm going to look back and say, oh, I should have said that different. But that's a burden you carry. But you know what? If I'm going to be rejected for walking in the ways of Jesus, then so be it. But that's hard. But love breaks three and says, Ryan, don't let your fear of being canceled get in the way of the ways of Jesus. What is it for you? Next one. Character. Herod hid the fear of losing power. Now, Herod is not someone that we want to go to as an example in our lives, okay? We're not looking to Herod to say, how should we live our lives? Herod was a king when Jesus was born. Look at Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, starting verse 1. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. 
So here's the Magi from the east. These are probably from the region of Persia. They are what we call stargazers or uh, advisors to the king, most likely. Somewhat of what Daniel was doing in the book of Daniel as he was an advisor to the king, interpreting dreams for them. So from the east, from that same region, these magi come, they saw a star in the sky. Now what is that star? I actually believe it was probably a comet because in the ancient world, comets uh, usually to those who would study the stars would indicate the rise or the fall of a king. So they saw some comet and somehow God revealed to them that this is going to be a new king in Israel. So they go to Israel and naturally you show up and you go to the current king because you're probably thinking, hey, he must have just had a new son because we read the stars and we believe that somehow God revealed to us that there's a new king, so they go to the king. They were coming as an entourage too. They weren't going quietly with just three little statues that are in our manger scene and going under the radar. They were probably coming with gifts and with an entourage. It's like Aladdin, Prince Ali, mighty is he, you know, kind of coming in. That's probably somewhat what it looked like. And so they show up, and King Herod says, what are you guys doing here? What are you, what are you here for? And they said, we come to worship the king. We saw that where's the one who's born, the new king of Israel. Now, if you were the current king, how do you react to that? We already know that Herod was a tyrant. He had two of his own sons killed because he thought they wanted to become king. There's this old phrase in Greek, it's funny if you speak Greek, but it said it's better to be Herod's pig than his son. It's a play on words, but saying like you're safer to be his pig than you are his son, because he'll kill you if he's your son. So Herod was known as being a little bit greedy for power and on the throne. All of a sudden, these people from the east come and say there's a new king born. (laughs) In Matthew 2, verse 3, this is how he responds. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. When the king is disturbed, the rest of your country is disturbed with you. That's how it works. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. So something about this conversation led him to think, wait a minute, God has revealed that there's a new king over Israel who's born. It's not my son. So this might, in Herod's mind, is recalling scripture, someone on the line of David. This could be, is this the Messiah? So he calls together the chief priests and teachers of the law and says, what is this? What do you think the Magi are talking about? Conversation probably led to, could this be God's Messiah coming? They already had indication of this, by the way, from one of their own priests, Zechariah, had this vision in the temple in Luke chapter 1. So it's likely that the chief priests were already talking about this, saying, oh, what's going on with Zechariah? He said an angel appeared to him. So there's conversation. Maybe the Messiah is coming. They talk about it. They say, where is he supposed to be born? And then they go, and they remember, in verse 5, in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what the prophet has written, but you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers, and out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. This is from the book of Micah. So Herod finds that out. He tells the Magi, hey, good news. We think he's in Bethlehem. Go find him and let me know where he is so I can come worship him. Why did Herod not go himself? I don't know. It could be that the people were hiding him from um, Herod. We don't know. But Herod wants to go worship him. We know what happens in the story. We find out that the Magi 
worship Jesus. They leave because they received a vision. says, don't go back to Herod. So they don't. Herod then realizes he got tricked, and he goes in and kills all the baby boys in Jerusalem. I mean, sorry, in Bethlehem, under two years old. What did Herod fear? He feared losing power. He feared losing control. See, the message of Jesus comes in, and none of us have a kingdom. You might, well, some of you do. It's called your kingdom of your house. Um, and, and you think you have that, the kingdom of your family, but ultimately, who's king? It's Jesus. But when we enter into the kingdom of God, as Jesus had explained to us, we're asked to give up of our power and control and trust someone else. That's God who's on his throne. And there's this fear in this message of Jesus that if we embrace the ways of Jesus, we're giving something up of our power and control. We're learning to become people who are willing to serve others. Even the very fact that throughout Scripture, we're, com we're commanded to be people who are generous even with our goods. Do you know giving financially is, a, is something, it's release of control of something in your life. And, and I'll tell you, our church, we, we base this church and this ministry off the generous financial gifts of the church. And you are a generous church. We love, we love to see how God shows up through you year after year. And it's the end of the year. I know a lot of you are thinking about that. We, we rely on the generosity of our church, and we thank you for it. And if you haven't started your generosity journey, yes, the church needs and uses your funds, but here's another thing about it. I believe, those of you walking with Jesus, that generosity is what you need for your life. That there's something that happens when we go through the act of release and say, God, I'm going to give up of something of myself to you. I'm going to release some of my control, some of my power, some of what makes me have status in this world I'm willing to relinquish. But why do we fear that? Well, what if we're generous and then our car breaks down? What if we're generous and my kid does, I don't have enough money to send my kid to a great school, which, just talk to my kids, community college, it's a great school. <laughs> What if I'm generous and I don't have as much for me? It's a little bit of a loss of power. It is. It's a loss of control. What if, and it'll take it off of finances. What if you give up and, and you see yourself as a servant the way Jesus did? And your neighbors and your family, you said, I'm going to learn to, I'm going to serve them. Do you give up your status as, as the alpha dog in your house? In your workplace, on your sports team, what if all of a sudden you're seen as the servant? Are you giving up something? Now, the irony with all of this, I do believe that by serving and giving up, you often receive more respect and sometimes more power. But we don't do it for that because sometimes you won't. Sometimes you will give up and you will have less. And that might be what God wants for you. But we all wrestle with these fears, a fear of losing control. Parents, would you agree one of the hardest things as parenting is the fear of not being in control of your kids and their decision? We see these cute kids up here now, and that control you have is just, I can control how many cookies they eat. A time is coming, you can't control any of it. And that's difficult. 
But do we trust and say, God, if you came and you have this great love for me and you have a great love for my kids, can I trust and give up control and just walk in trusting you? We all are going to wrestle with fear. I love how Max Locato says it. He says this, fear visits everyone, but make fear a visitor, not a resident. So some of you, fear is visiting you on some of these. It's okay. It, it, fear visits everyone. Just make it a visitor, not a resident. Let's recognize those fears. Let's deal with those fears and move on. Third character. So we looked at the first one was Joseph, and it was a fear of being canceled. Second one is Herod, fear of losing power. Third one is the shepherds. And the shepherds had a fear of rejection. Now let me tell you what I mean by that. In Luke chapter 2, this is our scripture reading for the today. The shepherds were living in the fields nearby. They were keeping watch over the flocks at night. Verse 9, Luke chapter 2. I have it on the screen. An angel of the Lord appeared to the shepherds. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. For today in the town of David, that's Bethlehem, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Now, a couple things about this. Shepherds are out in the field. It's night. Angels appear to them. They were terrified. Anyone agree that you would be terrified too? It's bad enough to be in the dark out in the, uh, you know, there's no freeway noise, no lights on, nothing. It's just dark. It's at night. I used to uh, work at my grandparents' farm every summer. I know how dark it is on a country night. It's freaky for no reason. <laughs> You're out there in the dark, and it, angels all of a sudden appear. The natural response isn't, oh, cool, look, angels. The natural response is, what did I do that these angels are appearing to me, right? So they're filled with fear, and the angels tell them, do not fear. Okay? Great. But the, the rest of the story is very interesting. Do not fear. Do not be afraid why? Because I bring you good news of great joy. Because a Savior has been born. But what does that have to do with being afraid? Why is that the solution to their fear? They must be talking about some other kind of fear. And I think the answer is in verse 12. Because the Savior is born, and this is a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Now, this is familiar to us, right? Even Charlie Brown tells us this story. We, should, we know this story. It's so familiar. But have you ever stopped to ask, why, why is a baby lying in a manger a sign to the shepherds that God is doing something new? And therefore, because of that, I shouldn't be afraid. What's the connection? Well, we have to dig deep and understand shepherds. I believe that what the angels are saying to shepherds, this good news is so good, it's actually for you. You who feel like you are the lowest of the low because they were. They were considered unclean. They would have to go through some purification rites just to make themselves worthy to enter the temple. They weren't allowed to go inside someone's home that wasn't their own home because they were unclean. They're with the animals. They were as low as you can get. If Jesus was born in a palace as the new king of Jerusalem, or king of Israel, guess who couldn't visit them? Shepherds. 
If he was born in a middle class home and he was in a nice, uh, you know, in a nursery, painted perfectly, has all the magnolia decorations, it's just everything. Guess who couldn't visit him? The shepherds. But the sign to the shepherds that they now are being invited into God's story was that the baby was lying in a manger, the one place that their uncleanliness didn't keep them out of. It was a sign to them that they aren't rejected any longer by God because he put himself in a manger so even the shepherds were able to come face to face with him that night. They didn't have to go purify themselves. They didn't have to go to the priests and be declared clean. They were already declared clean and worthy and invited by Jesus who was lying in the manger where shepherds could go. Why is this a sign of great good news for them? Because God said, you can be here. The message of Christmas is nobody is outside of the story. This sign is the most profound sign in all of history because it says there is nothing lower than you, shepherds, and you get to be at my feet. So your fear of being rejected and not being good enough your fear of when the angels first appeared, my guess is they're thinking, you got the wrong people. When angels appear in scripture, it's to, it's to our great men and women of faith. Stories of heroes, it's not shepherds. Oh, but don't be afraid. Because the message of love, God comes near. The sign to you is you are invited in. Who's here today who feels like this message is out of reach for you. You're not worthy. You came in and you feel like, I don't do enough. I'm not worthy enough. But there's a great sign that this is good news for all people. Your fear of being rejected by God is done. John writes this in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. He says this, there's no fear in love but perfect love draws, draws out fear, drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. We live our lives thinking that God's just waiting to lay down the hammer on us, but in Christ, he has driven out that fear and given us life. So how do we respond? What should we do? Are you here today and you wrestle with that fear of being canceled? What if I walk in faith? What if I walk the ways of Jesus? What would my friends, my neighbors, my spouse, my kids think of me? My coworkers? Do you walk in fear of if you embrace the story that God is with us, that he changes everything, that you're going to lose some control and power in your lives, and you fear that what if I enter and cross that threshold of faith and not just believing but walking in it? Do you fear giving up something? Or for you, are you here and you fear that the very thing that at the end of the day that God's going to say, nope, you just didn't quite make it. And today you need to be reminded that you are invited to the manger. You are invited into the story. So it might be fear of standing out, fear of losing control, or fear of being accepted. Today, let me tell you the story of faith is love breaks through all of that. And that's what the Christmas story is. Psalm 27 verse 1 ends with this, or starts with this. 
The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my stronghold. Of whom shall I be afraid? If he is our light and salvation, friends, fear is done. It's over. That's the message of Christmas. Don't let fear steal that from you this year. I'm going to pray for you, and we're going to respond with one final familiar Christmas carol. And it's a song that you would know, O Come, Emmanuel. And in it, it's saying, O come, God with us. Ransom, captive Israel. Set us free. We're going to rehearse and remember the story of what it's about. But would you stand with me? I want to pray for you, and then we'll sing this last song. Lord God, we thank you so much for the story of, of Christmas, which really is a story of your love. For God so loved the world that you gave, that you entered into this. You entered into the mess to suffer with us, to experience pain like we do. God, you entered in to make those who feel rejected to be welcomed to the table. You entered in to make those who want to hang on to control and power to release and to trust you. You entered in to invite us to a new way of living that won't be accepted by everyone, but that's the story. And so, God, we pray that in this place that you would remind us of your great love. You remind us that you are with us, that you lead us. And, Lord, even as we respond with this old Christmas hymn, may we remember the story of the world that's longing for healing, that's longing to be set free, that's just asking for you to do something different. And, God, you've done it, but as we sing it here, we're longing for your second coming. We're longing for you to set us free once and for all. We have a taste of the future, but God, we're longing for the day when we get to see you with no more separation. So hear our prayers, hear our cries, hear our praise. We give this to you in your name.